Paul says that what God has done in Jesus Christ is indescribable. Absolutely, utterly indescribable. More on that in just a little bit. Um, I want to thank you, Triumph Church, for being an incredible blessing to Inspiration Point. You're probably aware that around the Christmas season, as I understand it, you had a, a, a Be a Blessing offering. And uh, we got word that, that you were sending $56,000 to Inspiration Point to help with the, with the flooding. I hope that's not news to you. I'm not breaking news this morning, am I? You knew that? Okay, good. That's good. Um, you need to know a little bit of the backside of that story. Uh, Inspiration Point, which has been operating for 59 years, we had to make the difficult decision in early November to say that this summer camp is not going to happen there. The waters of Spitzer Lake have, have risen to a point where we can't, we can't operate there anymore. I shot a video, maybe you saw it, but I stood on the, on the ball field behind the Soma Cottages and I was up to my shins in water. The lake has made it. We think it'll be impossible to, uh, to navigate the camp uh, this summer. And we had to say, we're not going to hold camp there this summer. It was a difficult thing. At the same time, we're praising God for his provision of another property, Inspiration Point at Twin Oaks, 12 miles away. 12 miles away. We started building a, a camp just 12 miles away, but here's the deal. It was supposed to be an auxiliary camp, secondary. Spitzer Lake, which is our camp there, we've been turning away kids, hundreds of kids the last uh, few years. And so we, we wanted to, we needed to build a camp to take the overflow. So we were, we were constructing a camp to be ready this summer that would house 96 kids. Well, as soon as we decided, as soon as we determined that we weren't going to hold camp at Spitzer, now it, 96 wasn't going to cut it. We needed to get it to about 180, 190, just to get it back to the level of Spitzer, much less deal with the, with the uh, waiting list. As part, we've, so we've been scrambling. We're just, just driving to get this place open and ready. And at the same time, we've been praying that we could add the capacity that's necessary. Here's where, here's where you come in. When we got word that you were sending $56,000 to us, you were sending it not knowing how it was going to be used, but we were praying. We were praying that we would have somehow, we would somehow have the means to be able to build a new maintenance building at the camp, to take our, uh, our maintenance and put it in another building because what that would do is that would allow us to take our current temporary maintenance area and turn it into more housing. Your, your gift of 56000 is going to pay for the new maintenance building, and now we're going to be able to build five more sleeping rooms, allowing 20 to 25 more kids to come to camp every week of the summer. Your gift is making it possible for between 200 and 250 more kids to come to camp this summer. And you didn't know that. You didn't know that. And we didn't know where, where the, the money was going to come from. We were just praying. You know who knew it? God knew it. God knew that. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being an answer to prayer. 
through your generosity. Lives are going to be impacted and, and, and touched in powerful ways this summer. We're, we're hustling to get ready so we can open uh, by the end of April. It was supposed to be 96 beds by the 1st of June. Now we're at 180 beds by the 1st of April. We hope that marker doesn't move forward closer uh, at all. But I want, I, want to, I want to thank you for your partnership in the gospel. It's so good to be here with you this morning. And I get to talk to you about the generous God that we serve. My goodness, that song that we just, that we just sang. The generosity of God and giving his son Jesus Christ to us that we might be brought back into relationship with him and be a part of what he's doing in this world. What a marvelous gift that is. You know, as we were, Janet and I were talking uh, months ago about, uh, about Christmas time when we were kids. And uh, about mid-November, about mid-November, for sure before Thanksgiving, as kids, we would get very, very excited around our house. We would race home from school because we wanted to know if it had arrived, if it had shown up at our house, because we couldn't wait. It was coming. Sometime before Christmas, we knew it was coming. I'm, I'm speaking of the Christmas catalog. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you. Some of you are going, uh, what's a catalog? Uh, before the internet, before the internet, companies like Sears and J.C. Penney would send out a thick, like a really thick magazine of all the things that you could, you could buy for Christmas. And as kids, we couldn't wait for it to show up. And then when we got it, we would tear through the pages to see what toys were new. Janet tells the story. When she was young, she and her brother would sit down. They'd turn to the toy section, and they would turn the pages one by one. And when they flipped the page, they tried to be the first person to say, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. And they would do that. They'd go through the whole section. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I didn't have to compete. My siblings were younger than me. I would just flip through the pages, rabbit ear the pages, and circle the things that I hoped I could get for Christmas. That's what I did. How many, maybe some of you recall doing the same thing. Thank you. Thank you. Then the Christmas catalogs, by the way, they had another use. At, when Christmas was over, they became booster chairs for young kids, Right? Right? You have company and you had to get kids higher to the, uh, you know, uh, raised up at the table. And they were awful to sit on because they, it was treacherous. It was treacherous. But they were very, very useful. Very useful. What's interesting is when Jesus walked this earth, he took things of this world and he flipped them upside down. He, he was famous for saying things like, you've heard it said, but I tell you this. You've heard it said, but I tell you this. And you're familiar with these things. He would, he would take things of this world that, that people, uh, common thought patterns and attitudes, and he would flip them upside down. He, he, he could have said something like this. You've heard it said, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. But I tell you this. Life is about giving your life away. Okay? And he would, he would, take, he would take, sometimes shorten, he would shorten phrases, and he would say, in my kingdom, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first, right? Or the, the least of these will become the, the greatest, and the greatest shall be least, and, and so forth. And whoever wants to gain their life must, must lose it. And he was here, he, as, he, as he walked the earth, he was teaching us about a generous father, a giving father who operated and called us to a life that was different from the, the attitudes and, and the, the manners that, that, that we lived our own lives. 
The question comes, though, in understanding that, so what? So what do we do with it? And that's where Paul, Paul gets at that this morning. We're going to read from 2 Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, okay, chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. I think it's written in your worship folders if you'd like to follow along. The section is titled, titled Sowing Generously. Here's what he says. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every or all good works. As it is written, he scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father, as we gather here this morning, will you take these words by your spirit? Will you apply them to our hearts and minds? As we reflect upon you as the generous one, we thank you for making us more and more like your son Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. When people are generous, there are three things that happen. The first one is rather obvious. You, you, prob- you know this. Okay? When people are generous, the, the ones receiving a gift, are blessed, right? When you sent your your gift to Inspiration Point, we were blessed by that. Have you ever received something, a gift, or somebody did something for you? How did you feel? You're blessed by that, right? That's, That's an obvious one. Think about these kids, these thousands of kids who are gonna receive meals and food. They're gonna be blessed in receiving that, yes. But there's a second thing that happens. Not only is the receiver blessed by others' generosity, but the one who is generous is blessed as well. It's true. The one who is generous is blessed as well. We know this too from from times when, when we invest ourselves in giving to other people. We know that that fosters generosity in our own lives. It happens. When I was a kid, I had a job at a, um, a sporting goods store. Before that, though, before I had an income, and it was meager, before that, my parents at Christmas time would take me to buy Christmas presents for my brother, my sister, my mom, and my dad. And they would kind of steer me to a section, and they'd say, Greg, pick out something here. And I would pick out a few things. We would carry it to the checkout, and, and it the clerk would, would ring it all up and my parents would write a check. We'd go home. My mom or my dad would wrap the gift, put it under the, the tree, 
And when it came time for our family to exchange gifts, my sister would open the gift that said, from Greg, and she would say, thank you. And I'd say, you're welcome. No big deal, really. But as I got older and I got my job in 10th grade, then I started taking my own paychecks and going shopping for my brother, my sister, my mom, or my dad, myself, picking out something for them, paying for it with my own money, taking it home, wrapping it up, sort of, putting it under the tree, and guess which gifts I couldn't wait to see open first? The ones that I had given. I couldn't wait because I thought about my brother. What would my brother like? And then I paid for it with my own, with my own money, and I gave it to him. My brother was excited. It made me feel good. I was blessed in that. And that's what we're, we're called to do. We're called to, to be a blessing, to be generous to other people. The question is, what, what are we to be generous toward? We're to give our, our generosity, to point our generosity toward things that last. Things that last. Scripture warns against investing or being generous or <clears throat> investing in things that, that don't last. In Matthew, we read, do not store up for yourselves treasures in on earth where moths and rust destroy, but store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. Okay? Because that's what happens. When, when we uh, invest in things that are of this world, they come apart. They disintegrate. They're gone. And they're, they're meaningless, frankly. As I, as I grew up, I, I was probably seven year, years old and I got what was probably my favorite gift of all time. It was a new Huffy bicycle. It was a Huffy. It was kind of orangish gold. It was the 70s. Okay? It was orangish gold. It had a white vinyl banana seat, they called them, because of the, kind of the shape of it. That was connected to the bike by a, a chrome sissy bar. I had big handlebars, and I loved that bike. I could get up in a, on a summer morning. I could put my baseball glove on on the handlebars, take a, my baseball, wedge it into the frame down by the fork, wear my swimsuit, put a towel over my shoulders, and I could be gone all day. And I would cruise around Fairmont, Minnesota. And frankly, I looked good <laughs> as I was riding my Huffy bike. I really did. And I had wonderful days. And my bike was a treasure to me. As I grew older, I modified it. I changed the seat and so forth. And, and I jumped with it, jumped, jumped ramps with it. I wasn't supposed to do that. But I can say it publicly now because I, I accidentally said that last week at Triumph West and my mom was in the audience. So I came clean with her that I was jumping my bike and I wasn't supposed to. But I loved that bike. Now here's the question. Do you know where that bike is now? You know where it is? I have no idea. I don't. It was my prized possession. It, it was my transportation. It was my identity. It was useful to me, and I have no idea where it is now. Probably in a landfill. Probably has disintegrated. I doubt there's anything left of it. That's what happens. We're called to be generous towards things that last. What lasts? God God's word, and people, and people. And in doing so, in, in being generous toward those things, we're blessed as the givers as well. It's interesting. 
I was researching this a little bit, and I came across a study done by the University of Notre Dame. Wanted to find out, where does giving come from? How do we explain people being generous? The first place they looked was Darwin, evolutionary theory, and they found like, no, that can't be it. Darwin's theory says that the the survival of the fittest, the strong ones last, the strong ones flourish. And so the idea is to gather all you can and keep it and, and accumulate assets. That doesn't explain why people would be generous and share. They threw it out. The second place they looked was classic economic theory, made famous by Adam Smith and John Stuart Mill. They found out that doesn't hold the answer either. It can't. In classic economic theory, they, it's based upon the fact that people are more interested in their own benefit than their personal loss. That can't explain it. They wanted to find out, where does it come from? Do you know what they found out? They found it in brain research. In brain research, through the use of functional MRIs, which show the brain lighting up when certain stimuli are applied to it. And they found, here's where they found the answer. There's a part of our brain that lights up when cravings take place. Okay? As the morning goes on here and you start getting hungry for lunch, there's a place in your brain that's going to start firing. It's going to tell you that you're hungry. And then when you feed yourself, that same area of the brain is going to be fed by impulses telling you, ah, I got what I wanted. That same area of the brain lights up when giving takes place, when people are generous. Do you know that? We, have, we are hardwired. There is an innate desire that we have to share. That's right. When, when there's a need and we, we share generously, a part of our brain does this. Oh, that felt good. Bill Harbaugh, the University of Oregon, went even farther and he found this, that not only is it located in that area of the brain, but dopamine is released at the same time. Dopamine is, is that chemical in our brains that tells us when something pleasurable occurs. Okay? Dopamine is released and we think, oh, that felt good. And it's actually, dopamine uh, is actually addicting. That happens when people are generous. You can actually get hooked on, addicted to generosity. How about that? Now, here's the question I have. How'd that get in there? Why is it located in our brains? Why is that there? Here's the answer. Because we're made in the image of a generous and giving God. He put that in there. So when when we're generous towards, towards people, when we share, when we help, we're acting like him. It makes sense, right? It makes sense. How about that? How about that? As we're generous, people who receive generosity are blessed. The ones who are generous are blessed. But there's a third thing that happens that Paul talks about here. And that's this. God is praised. God is praised. Three 
Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God, he says. The service you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, men will praise God. When giving takes place, there's something that happens that lifts our eyes to God, to the source and the giver of all good things. The one who were told that he loved the world so much that he gave his only son. And we recognize that every good and perfect gift is from above. And, and, and when we're told that earthly fathers, who know, the ones who know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will our heavenly father give the good things to those who love him? He's a generous and giving God. And when Paul reflects upon that, he says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. For what he has done for us, it is so magnificent it is so compelling, it is so overwhelming that to try to describe it is futile. There are scholars who say that the word that Paul used here, indescribable or inexpressible, in the Greek, anakdiegatos, that word is not found anywhere else in Scripture, and there are some that argue that cannot be found in any ancient writings. They're not sure if it's part of the language. There are people smarter than I who think that word that Paul used, that we translate indescribable, is Paul making up a word that didn't exist because he couldn't describe how good God's gift was. It's like today. When you leave, maybe some of you are in the pattern of going out to eat. Maybe it's your, it's your Sunday thing and you go out and you, you go to the same restaurant every week and you order the same thing you always order and it's some, you just love it. And you're sitting across the table as you're, as you're partaking in that meal and, and the person you're with says, how, how does it taste? And, and you're, you're salivating and you, you just, you want to tell them how good it is, but you can't. And your action is something like this. Oh, this, this tastes so, and you make up a word. You make up a word that doesn't exist. You say something like, it is, it, it's fantastalicious. Because what you're tasting goes beyond any word that we have. Paul's saying, Paul's saying, the gift of Jesus is so good, there's no way to describe it. I'll do the best I can, but it, it's not adequate, it's indescribable. Amazing. I want to make sure you know how grateful we are for your generosity, but I got to tell you something about myself. Truth be told, I'm way more like the, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. My bike. I'm way more like that than I am a generous person. I am. I love being generous, but you know what? Truth be told, I like myself more often than, than not. 
But we praise God. We, we sit here this morning worshiping the God that sent us Jesus for all the times that we're, I'm going to get it for people. And he promises to make us more and more and more like his son, the one who gave himself, was obedient to death, even, even upon a cross. And you know what he's doing? He's making people, as we know him more and more, he's making us into what he calls cheerful givers. The Greek word there is hilaros. You hear the word hilarious? That's what he's doing for us. As we understand more and more the indescribable gift, he makes us into people who are more like, <laughs> I, get, I get to be generous. This is great. This makes no sense. This makes no sense. But I get to be generous. And we're acting like, we're acting like our father when that happens. We praise him for that, right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your work in us. Thank you that in spite of us being people who are, I'm going to get it, I want, grab all we can, you sent Jesus because you, you knew us. And we praise you for your indescribable gift that redeems us, that restores us, that calls us to follow you, that calls us to be in this kingdom that you are producing, that you're bringing about, that people might know as we're generous people, that they might know that you're God and that all eyes might be lifted to you. We pray that that happens more and more and more. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.